So this is the uh, InterEdge uh, community call first for 2021, 6th of January. Um, we have no fixed agenda today. So we're just catching up on progress of some projects done by people in the community. Um, talking a bit about the uh, Interledger Java connector at the moment with David and the team from Ripple. Um, and we'll see where the conversation goes. Yeah, so sorry, David. Um, I, I was going to say to you um, just before I started recording, um, what Kincaid didn't catch uh, was that you are doing a Java implementation of ILP Pay. So is that built on top then of obviously the ILP, the Java connector? Sort of extending what you already got there. Yeah, it's uh, it's currently sitting in Quilt, so it's not built into the connector at the moment. Um, but I imagine we'll probably uh, move effectively move move a version of it into the connector so that you can just basically hit an API from the connector to say pay, and then the, that'll engage. Hit an API from the connector and, and didn't really follow that. What do you mean by that? Yeah, like imagine a post request to the connector that's just like pay $5 or whatever. And then the connector can spin up uh, essentially a, an instance of ILP pay and manage a payment that way. Okay, okay, okay. It's like yeah, an embedded street kind of sender. It feels like what you know what we now consider a connector, or like at least all of the implementations are less connectors and more kind of ILP services. Like they do a bunch more than just simply receiving packets, route them, forward them on, and keep accounting. Like this, there's a bunch of business logic now um, in in the Rust one certainly, and and now it sounds like in Java as well. Um, yeah, it's it's optional. I kind of go back and forth. Um, I think actually right now what we have in the RippleX Spring infrastructure, uh, the connector is just a router, packet router kind of thing. Then we have this system called Hermes that sits in front of it that uh, gives you more like stream sender as a service type functionality. I think the idea though, in my mind over time would be um, probably like push that into the code base of the connector, but like make it optional. So you could turn it off, turn it on. And that way the install is just simpler. Okay. Who, who's using your connector at the moment? Is it just you guys internally? Are you aware of anyone else using it? Yeah, I think at the moment it's just us. I'm not aware of anyone else using it. I believe Forte is using the Rust connector quite extensively. Okay, interesting. Cool. Are they are they maintaining it? <laughs> so I don't know if anyone else who is. Yeah, they they're I'm trying to remember which projects there's there's there were some changes propagated back. Uh, they're also using like settlement XRP, I believe, and settlement ETH. But I haven't seen changes okay. pushed back from those yet. Or and maybe there just aren't any updates needed for what they're doing. Okay. The equilibrium uh, people have been uh, maintaining the, the Rust connector. Uh, I've merged a, a couple things in recent. 
Well, that's good to know. Uh, yeah, I wasn't even aware of that. That's cool. Um, the, it, what's interesting, like we're always going with the conversation about going beyond just being a connector, right? So even stream as a protocol isn't really something you like need in a connector. Um, but I wonder if it's worth us trying to um, come up with some sort of standard for those like you called it stream sender as a service APIs, because I think all the connectors have them now, but they're all, I assume, not exactly the same. Like the, the, the API where you say, hey, send five bucks, like do you post you know, an amount and an IOP address, or is it an amount and a payment pointer, or is it an amount and an address and secret? Like, you know, um, what do you do about getting a callback for um, the, the result, those kind of things? Um, I think the, the Rust connector has that stuff reasonably well documented somewhere, doesn't it? I don't know if it's well documented. Um, but yeah, there, there is an API in, in both. They're pr probably slightly different. Kind of go back and forth uh, around like an RFC. Um, yeah. Yeah, just. So we, we had this interesting discussion yesterday within Coil about just ILP being the interface. And I, I think I'm the same as you. I go back and forth. Like I see the purity of just saying, well, the interface is ILP. If you want to send money, like connect and send some packets. But I think the complexity of, um, of, uh, of like being a stream sender is non-trivial. And so it's more, uh, yeah, I think describing it as like an interface into a stream sender as a service is probably a better way to describe it. Um, and I see some value in that. And when they, uh, if that's worth standardizing it in any way. The question is which API do we want to be the interoperable API? Do we want it to be like, does it matter that the higher level, um, easier to integrate API is interoperable rather than me just choosing one implementation and using that API? Um, or is it fine? Sure, to that's a good point. If you want interoperability, yeah. you have to use ILP as the API. Yeah, I guess it doesn't have to be exactly interoperable, but I think the the pattern has to be the same, same or similar. I think it's hard, like if you're building an application and you don't want to build ILP into your application directly, you just want to be able to send over the ILP network. Um, like the basic flow of how that would work shouldn't be different depending on who's going to run your ILP infrastructure, um, if that makes sense. So I'm kind of I'm thinking, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Kincaid. I think it's very much like a, a use case driven thing as well. So um, if I'm building a mobile app, for example, that I want to be able to send money uh, over ILP, I don't want to build ILP infrastructure into the app, I don't think. Um, unless it only does sending, 
Um, but I definitely don't want to have to be like running a stream receiver in a mobile app. That that seems like a, a bad idea because I have to always be online to be receiving. And it, well, let, let me not say it's a bad idea. It, it adds a lot of complexity. So there's a high likelihood, like for an app developer, I want to just like have this SDK that I use or have this standard API. Um, and if uh, if we, in the scenario, like we talked about uh, yesterday within Coil, where that API becomes something consumed, um, you know, by like by third parties. So the app is consuming the API at my wallet. So I download the app and the app is you know, sending on my behalf or receiving on my behalf. Um, apps don't want to have to go and like implement a different API for every, um, you know, for every ILSP, but then the argument would be, well, apps should just speak ILP. But then you come full circle back to the, well, apps don't want to like speak so, ILP yeah. necessarily. Yeah, so, so I agree that many apps will not want to speak direct ILP. And I also agree that um, apps don't want to be restricted to one um, uh, what, what would it, I, I don't I ILSP, let's, let's just call it an interledger like, service provider or like user uh, uh, custodian of user funds like uh, the app wants to be interoperable with any number of custodians but I think it if the infrastructure provider is separate from the uh, custodian or that the 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 interledger node that's handling the user like user funds, then I think it's fine if that interledger service provider exposes their own proprietary API, because and then between that ILSP and the users custodian is direct ILP uh, because then it makes it super, you know you can you can connect to any uh, any of these custodians or wallets or interledger nodes um, you're just choosing which infrastructure provider you want does that make sense I don't really understand the difference between the infrastructure provider and the account custodian Why are they different? So maybe I, like uh, I'm thinking, I like Stripe. Like I, I like Stripe's API, so I want to choose Stripe's API. I trust them to run, you know, good infrastructure. But I don't want to be limited to only uh, sending pay, like letting my users send payments if they have a Wells Fargo account. I want to support any bank. Um, and I'm just saying like the, the entity that runs the infrastructure does not have to be the same as the one that's... Mm, I, I think that's complicated because um, in that case, like by using Stripe, you're um, I mean, presumably you're talking about the rails that the money actually gets sent on being card rails. Um, the, the users aren't limited to just being Wells Fargo 
they, they can be, you know, anyone who's on the one of sure, the projects sure. that Wells yeah, Fargo is part of. I'm not, yeah, yeah, sorry. Maybe that's not the best. So, so, but but I see what you mean. But but I I so I understand the point you're making. I, I guess I disagree on the on the fact that those will be different. Um, well, maybe maybe I, not as strong as that. Like, if I have money sitting somewhere, let's say it's at a uh, let's say Uphold, for example, um, and I want to give an app access to that money to be able to do stuff with, send that money somewhere over ILP, receive that money. Um, is your expectation that Uphold is going to run interledger infrastructure, or someone else will run interledger infrastructure, and then, you know, like there's sort of an, an additional layer, someone is doing the interledger stuff, the infrastructure provider, and then my money is actually sitting at you know, uphold. And when I have to do settlements, like uphold sends that money in, in sort of large, like one-off payments. So, so I'm thinking like, this is a separate question from who operates upholds infrastructure. I mean, that could be a, a third party provider. I'm just saying that uh, access to the user's accounts um, at uphold would be delegate, ILP access to that account would be delegated to um, this third party infrastructure provider instead of the like client application itself. And that third party infrastructure. Okay, so you're saying that, that okay, but, but who's the customer of the, who's the customer of the third party infrastructure provider? Is it the app developer? The app, yeah. Okay, okay. I see what you mean. Hmm. So it's kind of saying if if all of the like ILSPs, it, it, let's assume a world where there's a bunch of interledger service providers. So we've got an interledger network, we've got Uphold, GateHub, maybe a bunch of other places where you can have an account with money in it, but you want to build applications on top of that network. Um, those guys all just offer direct ILP access. And if you don't want to build ILP directly into your application, you'll outsource that to some third party who just runs that infrastructure for you. So they they deal with the connecting into the various different um, the various different ISPs. But that's just like a service they offer. So so there's no need for each of them to have a um, a standardized API they offer the app developers. Yep. And ideally lower, okay. like lower switching, like it would be less likely that you would need to switch um, infrastructure providers. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the key thing is that both the app developer and that infrastructure provider are not in the flow of funds. Like they don't want to be you know, money transmitters, they're just, um, they're, they're for want of a better word, like a payment initiation service provider or a third party payment provider. Um, I guess this comes back to the, the question we had yesterday in the call, and maybe David and, and, um, and Ian and Neil, you guys have thoughts here. Um, the, the challenge is, do app developers then have to register with every like ILSP? Yeah. 
So if I want to build an app, do I have to go register and get like an account, um, be sort of have a, like a developer account, if you like, with um, Uphold and GitHub and all the other um, you know, wallets? Because obviously the ideal is that you don't, but then the challenge is how do they trust that you um, as an application are not going to you know, do bad things with their users' funds? Um, and one of the you know, assertions in our internal discussion was, well, the user gets to choose which app they want to use. And so kind of the risk is on them. Um, and, and if the user decides they want to you know, use XYZ app and give them access to their account, then at least from a compliance perspective, the, um, the ILSP shouldn't have any issue with that. They should just monitor the account usage and decide whether they think the account's being used legally or not. I don't know, David, in your experience, like if that sounds like that assumption would hold. I think it would. I feel like there's some prior art here in my mind, uh, a good one in the, in the US. I don't know if they operate outside of the US is called Mint from Intuit, where it's an app, it's a web app, it's a phone app. And it, it can connect to all of your financial accounts. Um, in that case, it's read-only. But there's a pretty clear distinction between like the aggregator function um, or like the app function versus the actual payment provider. I, I suppose a, a, a similar one would be um, would be Stripe, I guess, right? So you have like maybe credit cards is the actual payment network. Stripe is the payment provider or service provider. And then the apps can like do read and write. Although in those cases, the apps are typically, it's the app developer who has the payment account. So anyway, I'll let you say, I feel like they're, as long as you can make a clear distinction around who the money transmitter is and who the app is, it seems like that should be fine. It seems like Google does that also like in the India case, right? Where they're not the uh, yeah. they're not the rail, they're not the payment service provider, even right? No. So, so the question is like, so to use Google as an example, if I want to use Google Pay and I want to link my Paytm account to Google Pay, like, how does Paytm have to have some sort of trust relationship with Google that you know, or does Google have to be on some kind of registry? So, for example, in Open Banking UK there's a registry of third party payment providers and you have to be on that registry. And then, you know, the banks who are part of like open banking and have these standardized open APIs all um, have to trust, you know, will trust you because you're on the registry. Um, I was doing a bit of reading on this today. And interestingly, um, there's a guide, like a guidance document that the World Bank prepared. And one of the comments in there talks about PSD2 and says that, um, I wasn't aware of this, PSD2 says that the bank can't compel the third party payment provider to, to contract with them. So they have to give API access to people um, without having a, a formal bilateral contract between the bank and the payment provider, the third party. But 
that's not to say they but then the document also says they have to do a huge amount of like a whole lot of due diligence on any third parties basically anyone they give access to the apis they should do a lot of due diligence on so it's kind of yeah there's two sides to it on the one hand it's like yeah you you know you want it to be open and you don't want to um it seems like regulators want the ecosystem to be open they want to promote competition they don't want you know um banks to be able to lock out third parties by forcing them into onerous like service contracts but at the same time they still want them to do a lot of due diligence and make sure for example that they screen them you know against sanctions list and like um oh there's a bunch of stuff I'm, I'm happy to share the document but like make sure that they check um you know that they're not listed like on on aml lists and things like that yeah, I think you could imagine both. Uh, if you take like a, the US market where maybe that's not a regulation, so like both could be allowed. You probably have companies that would offer both, like an open API, more like a, I don't know, maybe that feels more like Stripe and less like having to sign some enterprise agreement with like JP Morgan. Um, but you yeah. can also imagine the inverse. So Apple Pay comes to mind as well so where you know, like when I make an Apple Pay transaction, I'm not, uh, if something goes wrong, I don't call Apple, right? I call the underlying bank or the payment provider, but there is, there are agreements between like the banks and the credit card rails and Apple. So I, I don't, I don't, I, I guess there's overhead there, but I don't see that as like problematic. In some ways it may be preferable to have stronger network guarantees yeah that and the, and the interesting point that was made was differentiating between um infosec and compliance like regulatory compliance so obviously as a bank i want to vet third parties that have access to my users accounts to make sure that they're not going to you know defraud my customers but that's a security thing that's different to compliance um so then the question is, okay, so let's assume um, ILSPs are not gonna have compliance issues. Are they going to allow this purely on the basis of like security and, and fraud prevention? Like would you as a, a an uphold or a GitHub let anonymous apps access your customers' accounts if the customers chose to give them that access? It's, yeah, I mean, it I, I, probably depends on, on the or whoever the API provider is, right? Yeah. It seems, seems like you, you could punt that. Yeah, well, I, like my experience is no. <laughs> I, I was, um, I, I was not the only person. I, I was, uh, my opinion was not the only opinion on the call we had internally. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. I mean, my experience in the last few years is um, most of the wallets or people we've talked to are like they want to know what use cases the interface is going to be used for, and that's for compliance reasons. Um, and so then the argument is, well, that's okay if you know you have an end user who has an account, and you know they say they want to. API access to their account and suddenly their accounts doing all sorts of crazy activity. That's a 
you know, that's sufficient for you to monitor from a compliance perspective whether they are doing what they say they're doing. Um, but from a security perspective, like my impression is nobody's going to give um, like anonymous third party access to their APIs. Like almost every API can think of, you need an API key to access, right? Um, even if they are open, especially something that allows you to like write or do send payments as an example. Um, so I, that that's like, to me, that feels like the existential problem with this whole thing is um, solving for that. Wait, you're, um, so you're saying the issue is you see it as less of a compliance issue and more of a security issue? Well, I, I just, I haven't met, a, I haven't met anyone who keeps user accounts that would be prepared to expose those accounts to anonymous third parties. But how is uh, that just, different than, I mean, if there's like a wet, like a um, first party uh, payment initiation interface, mm -hmm. like how is that? Like, how is that more, how is that less secure than, you know? What do you mean by first party? Just like a web bait, like if I can, if I can initiate a payment from my Interledger enabled wallet via the web, right? I mean, this goes back to, uh, we were also talking about uh, Plaid, uh, David and yeah. others on the call, we were talking about Plaid uh, the other day. Um, like I could just as easily give a third party the username and password to uh, my wallet account and they could send payments on my behalf. Um, yeah. And, th and that's, I mean, that is like the existential issue that has plagued the banking industry for the last five years. Like Plaid was taken to court when they first started doing what they were doing, either Plaid or Mint, one of them. Um, and or at least the banks were taken to court for trying to stop them doing what they were doing. And that was the point I was trying to make on the call yesterday. It's like the, just be, you know, people like account holding institutions like banks don't want to allow this. They don't want to give third parties access to their customers' accounts because it's just a massive headache for them in terms of their fiduciary duties. Um, and if they give users an API that they tell users they can use and then those users happen to give those keys to someone else well they can kind of you know say well you know that's not our fault the users told was told to keep those keys private like if you go and give your username and password to a third party and they log into your online banking and they steal all your money banks gonna say well you know you shouldn't have given them the username and password um, so I, like it's a it's a it, this is not a new problem. Like this is the the challenge that's been going on. And and in fact, the interesting thing is screen scraping and and this exact issue is what's driving a lot of um, banks or, or countries towards like mandating open APIs and saying, well, we think screen scraping is bad, and so we would rather the banks open APIs and banks have held out long enough. And so we're gonna just force them to, to open APIs because we think for the like ecosystem as a whole, that's safer. Um, so I, yeah, I, like my, I guess from my concern is that if our, um, if our departure point is let's go to wallets and ask them to open these APIs for third parties, like what, what is the motivation for them? Why would they do it? 
historic history tells me anyone who looks after accounts for people is not going to do that um, unless they're forced to. Adrian, is, is there a world where like we prefer one, like we prefer the open API, but uh, like in a US context where maybe uh, entities aren't compelled to do that and so they're not, you just do whatever sort of best for the network, the interledger network. So if it means <clears throat> getting, you know, doing all the overhead, let's call it, uh, isn't that still worth it? I'm not sure if I, if I follow. Uh, like in the Apple case, or I don't know, I don't know what you guys uh, were talking about with Plaid, but you can imagine either of those two entities saying, "Yeah, we like Interledger, but what are you going to do?" And the and the response is going to be like, "Well, there's going to be all kinds of unknown use cases," uh, and so someone like Uphold might say, um, "Well, we're not comfortable with that, so can you guys help us?" And in that case, like if it was Coil. Coil might have to do a little more than it normally would in an open API world, but um, wouldn't that be worth it? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Look, I, I think there's a there's a spectrum of um, potential internet uh, service providers, right? Like on the one end of the spectrum are banks, like your traditional account servicing entities, and on the other end of your spectrum are like fintechs, like Uphold and GateHub who are pro interledger ready, they, they like the tech, they see the potential, they buy into the vision. Um, like even on that end of the spectrum, we don't have direct RP access yet. And I'm, I'm, I've struggled to find a compelling reason to persuade those entities to open up direct RP access. Like the, the reasons we've given them are, you know, to open up innovation, to, allow people to build cool stuff on top of their platform. And I think they see that, but they balance that against the risk. And right now, I, I think the risk value, like when they, they evaluate the risk against the value, the risk is just too high. Um, and so, I, yeah, I, I mean, there's two ways to solve that. We reduce the risk or we increase the value. Um, I'm, I'm not sure which is the easiest. Is the risk just uh, they don't have the manpower to evaluate every sign up to this direct access API? Um, it seems like you could overcome that a little by having a, you know, not an open sign up, just like a more than what we have. Right now, what we have is <laughs> reach out to someone at Coil or Uphold directly, which is like pretty high barrier. Like what if yeah. there was a formal, call it what you will, program? But yeah, like so, so, sandbox so that's right. a, good, a good good example. Like Apple already have this, but not with ILP. So like I think in principle they would they would be happy to do it. I mean I'm not speaking with any privileged sort of knowledge of the situation, um, but but the it still work for them to do, right? They still have to build a whole bunch of this new infrastructure that they've never used before with like ways of operating that are different to what they used to, you know, these like high throughput packet processing and so on. Um, and then they have to, on top of that, do add a whole new type of like transaction monitoring that they're not used to where, you know, before, 
like every transaction that came through their APIs, they could look at individually and go, hmm, this is a $5 transaction um, that looks like it fits within the sort of the normal behavior for this account. Okay, that's fine. Um, they already, so they already have an onboarding process for apps and those apps can then take users through an OAuth flow to get consent to transact against the user account. And it's a lot simpler than, for example, open payments. There's no mandates or anything like that. It's just, you have access or you don't. There's some scopes, but basically, you Did we lose Adrian or is that me? Uh, I, didn't, I lost him as well. <clears throat> okay. We have to come back. That was a thought. Sorry, I, I don't know if you all got dropped, but I got dropped. Yeah, we, I think we all stayed. We're just waiting for you. Huh. That was weird. I, I got dropped completely out of Zoom, crashed entirely. But when it restarted, I seemed to be back in the middle of the call, exactly as it was. Um, that was quite impressive recovery. Um, yeah, so, so I guess the point I was making is there's a lot of technical burden you put on someone like, you know, Uphold or GitHub to enable this. And, and all of that burden is to manage their risk. Um, and they have to balance that against like what value it offers their customers. And I think we just haven't got to a point where it's compelling enough value for them to be a, prepared to prioritize doing that work. Like all of the risk, you know, all risk can be managed. It just takes work. And, and so, you know, it becomes a, like, are we going to do the work to add all this extra stuff we need to enable this new interface? Um, and in Apple's case, it's a lot less than anyone else because they already have an ecosystem of apps and they already have APIs, they already have a lot of the hard stuff done, um, but they still have work they would have to do. Um, so I, I, yeah, for me, that that's the challenge. It's like, well, this, this, sorry, there's two challenges because I keep saying that's the challenge. The one challenge is it's a lot of work for anyone who wants to enable this as an ILSP. Um, and so they have to balance that against what value it's adding. And the other challenge is for someone who, so like in the ideal case, we don't want somebody to have to follow the full uphold, like register yourself as an app sign up process. We want um, users to just be able to, um, you know, get a credential and give it to the third body app or for the app to be able to just get a credential through user consent and, and start operating. And I'm not convinced there's anyone who would actually allow that sort of anonymous third party access. Um, yeah, so that, that's the two challenges I see. How much of that is the security and how much of that is just the existing cost benefit of adding any new interledger features? I mean, in terms of there's a lot of complexity, um, you mentioned like high throughput um, transactions that, you know, no one is really accustomed to. Um, 
and not many users or not potentially not much near term upside. Um, like, I mean, in Apple's case, like they also haven't rolled out any kind of outgoing payment functionality. And that should be, you know, that'd be mm -hmm. uh, from a security standpoint, uh, uh, probably better than uh, kind of uh, direct ILP access. Yeah, I think it's I, a big I, risk for someone like Uphold, right? Like it'd be really ideal if there was a third party that would operate the connector, take on all the risk, funnel KYC data to Uphold, uh, and then Uphold could be like, cool, this is very low risk for me. Yeah, it's, it's difficult the way you draw the line between like whose customer it is and the KYC. Like in my experience, people happy to outsource KYC to a KYC company, but they still want to take responsibility for that. They want to be able to say, okay, I KYC my customer. Maybe I didn't do it personally, but I delegated it to someone who I trust to do it right. Um, but it's still my customer and I'm managing their account and so on. And that's, you know, there's yeah. like compliance and, and stuff, reasons why you want to do that and, and reputational risk as well if you, if you mess things up. Um, so not, not saying that, just saying that in order for Uphold to do KYC, they need new technology that they don't have, and they maybe aren't even in a, in a position to build if they're not ILP experts. So somebody needs to provide the technology for them to be able to do the KYC. Yeah, and I, and I mean, we've kind of come full circle to where what was sort of seeding my questions to you earlier, David, was like, how easy would it be? to package up, for example, the Java ILP connector. Because in my experience, um, that's the sort of stack that most financial services companies are most comfortable with. Um, it seems to be the most widely used these days is Java or Go, actually, ironically enough. Um, uh, and and like, you know, provide that as something, like what would the interface look like between you know, your outsourced ILP infrastructure and your own systems. So like in my, in my you know, previous life, this was a common thing to do, for example, for card. You go out and you buy a card switch from someone and it has a core banking interface. And um, so you have your card system that deals with all of the card related, card network stuff, card issuing, et cetera. And transactions come in to debit money off your customer's accounts but the card system interfaces with the core banking system to do things like check the user actually has money or update the user's balance when they make a purchase and so on and so forth. So like it feels, this feels analogous to that. Um, what does the interface look like between the ILP infrastructure and the, call it the core banking system of the, like the uphold or the bank or the whoever? So, I mean, we could probably speculate a little bit on what it could look like, but I, I'd actually want the customer to drive that because some big unknowns are like, what, for example, not to pick on up uh, or, you know, to use them as <laughs> too prescriptively, but someone like Uphold, I don't know what their infrastructure needs are. So mm. it'd be good to have a customer to drive that once or twice or five times and then say, Hey, you know, everyone needs this. So let's standardize on it. Yeah, so I mean, I've done a bit of thinking and, and written up a few ideas on what I think this could look like. That's, that's why I ask. Um, 
I mean, to me, it's it's very much the uh, stream sender as a service, at least on the sending side. Um, there's other aspects you need, like settlement, uh, to worry about, like settlement and you know synchronizing account balances and so on. Um, but but that feels like the most complicated part is is you know when you want to send money, making sure that you know as the bank or let's just say as the bank, you partition those funds or reserve those funds, then go and speak to ILP infrastructure and say, okay, send this amount of money um, over ILP. And then when that's done, you get a result and you say, okay, um, you know, this amount of the reserve funds was actually sent. And so put the rest back. Um, and then, you know, whenever you have incoming payments, uh, the ILP infrastructure notifies you, hey, I just received, you know, $40 um, for this account and here are the details, uh, stuff like that. So, so I, the interesting thing to me is like that interface feels a lot like exactly the interface we were talking about earlier um, on the connectors, like the, the pay and the receive payment and so on. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna, uh, yeah, I was gonna say it, it's probably very similar to what uh, the interface to something you know like pay is. I was just gonna add, there's also quoting and the connector would need to know like what currency the user's account is denominated in. Um, so that adds complexity. Um, but the, the one thing, like I still think about even if Uphold were to outsource some of this to a third party infrastructure provider, if that third party infrastructure provider wants to like Uphold wants to enable um, sending direct ILP access. So their users can send or like users can send payments directly over ILP. Um, that still puts a lot of constraints on Uphold's own infrastructure potentially, because even if they're getting say some kind of webhook on incoming packets like user account A is trying to send you know, some fraction of a dollar um, their database potentially needs to support that really high transaction volume, uh, even if like running much of the ILP infrastructure is still being outsourced. Um, yeah, I, I think you would handle that by like by partitioning funds or like um, you'd have to do something. I mean, there's no point in outsourcing the infrastructure if you're still gonna have to handle and process every single packet, I think, as the- Maybe, uh, but, but then, but then that, like, yeah. So you, you could do that, but then like, that's also potentially a user experience compromise because then users need yep. to specifically allocate funds to be spent through Interledger that then can't be spent through any of, you know, in this case, Uphold's other existing features. Well, I, it, yeah, I think the user experience stuff is solvable. Like Uphold can, can do that invisibly from the user. The, the, the risk Uphold faces is that the user is sending some stuff over Interledger, sending money over Interledger, but also sending the money over some other channel and they basically double spend the money that they have in their account. Like that's the thing Uphold has to avoid. But synchronizing between the Interledger infrastructure and Uphold should be like microseconds, right? It should be pretty quick for them to do. Um, I guess 
like the way I would imagine it happening is I want to send some money. I go into my Uphold app. I type in somebody's payment point and I say, I want to send them $10. Uphold reserves those $10, makes a call to the interledger infrastructure and says, pay $10 to that person. And then when they get the result back, they decide how much of those $10 to return back to my account and how much to mark a cent. Um, yeah, like I think based on what you were saying, Kincaid, you're suggesting that maybe the user would be initiating the payments directly through the ILP infrastructure. And that's where I think direct ILP access is, is an extra layer of complexity, like sending directly from Uphold, a lot easier to do. But when Uphold wants to offer direct ILP access to the account, then yeah, you, you face this problem that, you, um, that you're talking about where like Uphold's out of the loop. They basically almost have to be you know, when, when I start sending through that interface, Uphold needs to be notified and, you know, like it has to, you have to do like a balance check first and then only then start sending and stuff like that. Agreed, adds a lot of complexity. Although your idea, the, um, I don't know if you, um, like if the infrastructure provider ran like the interledger accounting database, so then the uphold user would explicitly perform some transaction to move funds to their interledger card. That would they would make mm. a call to that provider to say this user has this amount of funds, and then uh, the infrastructure provider would just handle all of the um, accounting. Um, mm. So, I, it, like I said, I've been writing a bit of stuff up on this. I'll, I'll make a note now and try and um, share that uh, a little bit more widely sometime in the next week um just to hear thoughts what, what's a format that works for people is notion doc okay or google doc better um either one sounds fine i i know we only have a minute but is it what's the benefit for someone like uphold to produce an api that's just in front of interledger like why why not what? just use their api why even use stream at that point Like, I guess where I'm going with that is it seems like direct ILP access different... has to come. Oh, first. okay. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to direct ILP access. Like, if you just have an API at Uphold that does stream send, there's nobody to send to anyway right now. But, like, if there was only one person uh, on the network, like one other receiver, let's say, um, I don't know. Is that just planning for the future where we hope the network grows and grows and then? Stream sender as a service becomes useful. Uh, I'm not sure if I completely understand the scenario you're describing, David. But like, yeah. uh, I, I mean, in, in my mind, in my mind, step one is, you know, um, whatever. Some bank. Let's let's stop picking on Apple. Um, some bank says, "Cool, I want to be on the ILP network." Um, so I'm going to go to Uphold and GitHub. I'm going to establish a peering relationship with both of them, but I'm not going to run any of this infrastructure. I'm going to like outsource it to technology provider X. Um, and so they're going to run all this ILP infrastructure that connects directly to Uphold and GitHub and exposes some APIs um, to the bank. And the bank is able to call those APIs to say, like issue a payment pointer for my user and then they can give that to the user through some like app or UI that the user has. Now the user can go around and put that 
payment pointer in their like website for web monetization or whatever, or it can call an API that says, um, send some money to this other account that uphold and the, you know, infrastructure provider starts a stream send and sends the money and like completes and comes back and says, I sent the money and it has APIs to say like, how much do I uphold? How much do I owe GitHub, you know, on settlements or vice versa and so on and so forth. So that's kind of the scenario I'm imagining. None of that involves direct ILP access through the bank yet. The, the hard part about ILP access through the bank, so the bank customer actually having direct ILP access is this complexity that Kincaid and I were talking about, where now if the user speaks directly to the ILP infrastructure, the bank is out of the loop in terms of checking like available funds and stuff. And so to facilitate that, they would have to like partition some funds that are specifically for use by ILP. They would say to the ILP infrastructure, this user can send up to $10 um, otherwise you need to check back with me and reserve some more, something along those lines. And so there'd be a constant like synchronization between the IOP infrastructure and the bank um, to make sure that the amount that the IOP infrastructure has sent on behalf of the user doesn't exceed what the bank is actually accounting for against the user's account. That's, yeah. That, that to me is the harder part, which kind of feels like a phase two. Yeah, I see where you're going. Cool, anyway, it, this sounds like a good topic to pick up again um, in a future call. Um, but, maybe but maybe before we sign off, circulate just the say, yeah. Uh, oh, thanks. Uh, just, just wanted to say to David, thank you for uh, uh, your uh, the issues you opened on the pay library and reviewing uh, some of the more complicated uh, parts of the code base. Uh, appreciate getting more, more eyes on that. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, nice job. Uh, you, there's a lot of stuff that you had in there that I would not have thought of. So uh, it's impressive to see. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. Um, turned into a pretty full call. Um, I'll, I'll share some of those the, those early thoughts I've had um, with folks. I'm, I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Like, needless to say, there's a lot of moving pieces here and a lot of stuff to think about. Um, our next call then will be on the 20th of Jan, uh, so two weeks from now. Uh, apologies again for the late start. Um, I hope we didn't lose too many people um, because of that. Um, and we'll chat again on the 20th. Cheers.